Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Chris Pattison, aka CPAT, who is the field risk officer at LogicGate. And we're going to be talking about you know, some of the misconceptions related to compliance and security, whether, you know, an organization, if they feel that they're 100% compliant uh, in accordance with some regula regulatory body or standard, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have achieved any level of security. Uh, but before we do that, I want to say hi to CPAT. CPAT, how are you today? Doing great, Mark. Uh, thanks for having me on and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Hey, I got to say, this is the first time I've had a CPAT on Secure Talk. So um, I, can you tell me a little bit about your nickname? Yeah, it uh, it originated from uh, my soccer uh, field name. I used to play soccer, uh, but there are too many Chris's on Zoom calls these days and an email. So this way I avoid getting all the action items when somebody's like, hey, Chris, can you handle that? So uh, it's just much easier to, to call call me CPAT and go from that perspective. So that's that's where it got started many years ago. And it's continued on, especially in the COVID era. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of marks on Zoom calls, too. So I, I suppose I should come up with some type of moniker. But uh, there you go. <laughs> I also play soccer, too. So, uh, um, yeah, good, time, actually, good times in the World Cup right now, for sure. Very Yeah, that was uh, it was uh, kind of a exciting game yesterday. Um, we I mean, we had a lot of shots on goals. I wish we could convert a little bit more. But uh, hey, we'll take the wins, right? Yeah, France just lost to Tunisia. So it's, it's going to be an interesting round of 16 for sure. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, hey, uh, whereabouts are you located? Uh, I am typically in New Orleans, but today I'm actually up in Memphis. Uh, we're having a small CISO roundtable up here, so excited to, to get to that. And I think that this is even one of the topics I think we're going to discuss a little bit uh, around security and compliance as well. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, if you, if, you, if it's a CISO roundtable, uh, CISOs typically are, you know, more involved on the security side. And then, you know, every organization is different, but then you also have your compliance team. Um, and and sometimes uh, you'll you'll have you know individuals or teams that will wear multiple hats. In terms of what you see, how is the you know compliance responsibilities um, divvied up amongst or or shared or kind of organized alongside security responsibilities in organizations? Yeah, so I think this is one of the biggest misconceptions is it really ties back to the way we talk about this <clears throat> in the industry, right? Compliance is an extremely broad term, and unfortunately, people don't apply it without really getting the proper context. So typically, when I'm in a discussion uh, with anybody on this topic, my first question is, well, what type of compliance are we talking about? And the way I break it down is, is uh, from the GRC perspective, there are two little C's and one big C. And so the, the two little C's really are uh, regulatory compliance, which is just actually another risk, right? There is a magnitude of loss if a regulatory body shows up and finds me. And then what's the likelihood of that happening, either based on my posture and a whistleblower is going to reach out or they know I have bad posture and they're going to come after me. Uh, with a fine. So that's just another risk. The other little C is framework compliance, which is typically, you know, part of your larger compliance uh, program, but it may be I'm trying to uh, comply with one of these frameworks, whether it's NIST or ISO or COSO. Uh, so there's that piece. There's no penalty for that, but that's just, hey, this is how I'm going to run 
my risk management practice. This is how I'm going to run uh, different pieces of my compliance program. And then when you say GRC, that C, and this has been you know something I think the the industries uh, actually got confused very long time ago because you know a lot of the initial compliance work came out of IT compliance with SOX, and so the meaning of the C and GRC got lost somewhere along the way. And, and you'll hear people like my, Michael Rasmussen bring this up in the industry, but that was always meant to be the compliance program, right? How am I managing and making sure that I'm the controls and countermeasures I put in place uh, for risk mitigation are operating as expected, right? And so that's that's a much different type of compliance that if my compliance program is broken, then I may in fact be insecure, right? Because I have exposures, my controls may be failing, I may not know it. Uh, so, so really when we talk about these topics, I like to break it down. You know, which one are we talking about? Are we talking about your compliance program, the CNGRC? Are we talking about the fact that you have a regulatory risk because your uh, financial industry or healthcare or something that's highly regulated? Privacy's obviously become a big one here lately. You know, or are we talking about, you know, you're trying to tie to risk management framework or some other uh, framework that's out there from a compliance standard. So it, the sooner we get better in the industry of sitting down and say, hey, you know, let's talk about compliance. Which one are we talking about? I think that's a big first step for us. Okay, well, let's let's take a look at, you know, each each of those areas. So, for example, if an organization, they have a sense that they need to be GDPR compliant or HIPAA compliant, who who's typically driving that and who do they need to work with across the organization to kind of, you know, ensure compliance? And so what's funny is that is like as varied as the colors of the rainbow for sure, because it depends on company size, industry, even within uh, similar industries and similar company sizes, uh, they, they may choose to structure their organizations differently. But typically, and, and we deal with this at Logigate as our team is, is working uh, with groups to do this, compliance is either runs sometimes directly out of legal because that may be the only group uh, that a team has that's working through these issues. So maybe your data protection officer on the, uh, on the privacy side uh, it there if you're larger in your bank, a financial institution or healthcare, they may have a compliance officer, chief risk officer that's running these types of things. In other cases, uh, if you're a heavy IT shop and we, you know that you have these uh, regulatory risks but don't have a big or strong legal team or compliance team, then yeah, in certain cases, uh, that regulatory work could fall on the on the uh, on the CISO. Um, so it's 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 quite varied, and you know that's where we you know at Logigate we look at this holistic GRC. Is it doesn't matter uh, which group you're in, we will structure the program to fit your practices, uh, so we can help you with the assistance and and looking at these these different regulations, and and this whole great thing of of test the set of controls once, and then I'm covering uh, compliance in in multiple areas, whether it's privacy, uh, you know, stocks or any of the other uh, types of regula regulations we're having to deal with day to day out there. Okay, well, that makes a lot of sense, and, and, it, and it kind of aligns with what I've seen in the industry. You know, every organization is different, and and you know, and and the drivers to get compliant against a certain regulation um, are, are are different. You know, and and sometimes it's it's the 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 risk thing. Sometimes, I mean, what I'm seeing more these days is, hey, you know what? This compliance can actually be an asset for us because it demonstrates to our customers that we're, you know, we're 
you know, taking the preventative me- measures. And maybe that's maybe that's more on on the things like uh, SOC 2. If you've achieved SOC 2, then, hey, you know, it, it, it gives you some credibility or the, I guess, the cloak of some security that it's, hey, it's safe to do business with you in terms of the security infrastructure. Um, it, so but let's so, so that's, let me, but that's interesting, right? So, so let's talk about that. So regulatory compliance, and, and I'll tell a story from my past. I remember I was sitting in my office. I, I used to work on a lot of work in the fraud space, and uh, I did run the infrastructure for the GRC program there. And one of my buddies shows up and he goes, we really need to look at this GDPR thing. I was like, look, I don't have time to deal with compliance issues. I've got all these other uh, risks that are out there from an information security perspective we're working on. And, and he said, no, 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 look at this. It's 2% of global revenue. And I was like, oh, that's oh, that's Got your attention. <laughs> well, no, because if you think about it, that fine could actually be, in certain cases, even more than the cost of a breach. So now we are talking about regulatory, ri- regulatory compliance as an actual risk to the company's bottom line with a magnitude that you can measure. And we literally, in prioritizing our initiatives for that year, uh, we got into the fact that we had to do some level of effort around GDPR being an international company uh, because that that fine or that risk was greater than just about any other security risk we had on the table. Very tied to privacy and things we control within the InfoSec arena. Uh, but but that's a case um, where that's a big deal. Now, and then you bring up SOC 2. What is the real risk? SOC 2 is also one that's tied to risk, not regulatory. But most people chase SOC 2 in a lot of cases because they they need it to do business with other partners, right? If I don't have a SOC 2, then somebody's not going to partner with me. It's a, it's a way to mitigate that third-party risk. So again, you can probably sign a dollar value uh, to that. What's the magnitude of loss uh, to my organization if I don't have a SOC 2? Am I going to lose business to you know, Mark's company because Mark does have a SOC 2? So again, it's back to that regulation. While it has the security layers wrapped around it, it's looking to make sure somebody's at least meeting a basic level of, of hygiene, maybe, it's still most people pursue that from a business perspective because it's a risk to the business and, and a loss from that perspective. It's, yeah, a, it's a have to have. Absolutely. Especially if you're trying to win business in the regulated industries, you know, life sciences, financial services, healthcare, et cetera. Um, and, and anything that goes out to tender, they typically will ask, you know, SOC 2 or, or NIST or some, what other security standards have you achieved? Um, but you know, I was looking at the you know prep for this um, this discussion, and I think you have some opinions related to you know whether or not you're compliant doesn't necessarily or you've achieved a standard doesn't necessarily mean that you are secure. What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, and and, and I think just about every other CISO or risk officer in the in the market would would say the same thing because when you look at these regulations. While, you know, they, they're directional and they'll tell you, hey, you need to have these things in place, uh, what level and how you actually pursue that and configure it uh, doesn't necessarily mean you're secure, right? You are literally going through trying to satisfy uh, the requirements of that regulation or of that framework, but then that's up to, you know, your mix of what you put in from, you know, you call it your defense and death perspective, uh, it's highly subjective at that point. You know, each each CISO may have a different strategy. I was literally on a call this morning uh, talking uh, with some folks about, you know, different mixes. And I think I'm going to go this way or somebody else is going to go that way. So 
that really ties back to then you have to have that risk-based approach based on your industry. What are, who are the threat actors? Who am I up against? Uh, what are, what are the potential attack vectors? So it becomes a risk piece tied back with that compliance. So you, you, you can check that box, but the, the method you, the way you check that box, it's very important to do that from your threat landscape, your industry and what you're dealing with, because you could go put in some control that's very weak uh, around one of those standards, and it's not necessarily going to change your security posture all that much, or or maybe it's a single layer of defense. Um, but then that also gets back to kind of where we were talking about capital C and what platforms like Logigate help manage is you could say, hey, we're going to go buy this control, we're going to install it, but if you don't have a good compliance program that's running on a regular basis, testing that control, making sure it's there, making sure it's operating as expected, your security posture, you know, could be, you know, for for lack of uh, uh, being there at all, right? So it's it's kind of the idea. I have I have the cameras up in the building, but none of them are working. Uh, it's it's similar to any cybersecurity posture as well. If, if I don't have a compliance program to go out and test and make sure uh, that the controls I put in around some of these frameworks are actually functioning, I am also insecure at the same time. So it's it's a little bit of a, a, a double-edged sword there and, and kind of can get circular, but uh, the two actually do tie into each other quite a bit. So so tell me, I mean, you can talk as much as you want about LogiGate, but let's let's start at the, uh, the you know general level. If you're looking at different kind of compliance tools or platforms, what are some of the must-haves? Yeah, so most of the key platforms and and you, almost every single one of them now is doing this. It is the idea that I can test the control once and then I can say that control complies with multiple frameworks. So when you're evaluating uh, using tools to do this, that's you're trying to automate it. Because if you go into any of these organizations, there's generally a handful of people. I was, I was very fortunate, you know, working for a large enterprise. You know, we had two or 300 people on our team, but you know, working for startups and with startups now or people further downstream in, in my role as a, a field risk officer, they don't have that. So those pro, those platforms that allow you to do the testing once, uh, comply many, how many standards do they support? How many integrations do they have? Can they get some of that risk telemetry so, you know, that your first line of defense, the people operating these systems or, or doing these processes, uh, they don't have to answer questionnaires so they can actually get an automated uh, response from from evidence collection or management of those controls. So that's a, another great feature. Uh, automation is clearly coming deeper. Automation integration deeper and deeper into the space. Uh, just as organizations are finding out, you know, we don't have the time, the people, or the money uh, to do all these things manually by filling out forms and doing these very manual processes. So that's also become key. The the more aggressive organizations, kind of at the the higher end and the and the Fortune you know 500s and such. Uh, they're on the edge of doing things like continuous monitoring, and that's that's really the the panacea, right? Because mm. back to back to the C and GRC, my compliance program. If I'm only testing it once a year, what does that mean? The other 12 months of the year, uh, am I still uh, in good uh, security posture? Maybe, maybe not. The the threat environment changes, the regulations change. So the the more mature organizations and the organizations that have the funding to buy the more advanced tools, they're getting even deeper into. Uh, continuous monitoring, right? So I can tell, uh, similar to the, go back to the camera analogy, uh, from a physical security perspective, I, I know immediately, hey, the camera system's down, we got to get somebody out there to go fix that, uh, versus, you know, I only check it once a year. Hey, how long has this camera system been down? Oh, it's been down for six months, and maybe the operator, you know, on the front line knows that, but maybe he even missed it. Uh, you know, I didn't realize the red light was off, it wasn't working. 
Uh, but that's really what you're up against. There's so many companies. Uh, I've seen companies buy, you know, these these security tools and they say, OK, we bought security tool A, but OK, well, how broadly was it implemented? Did you get it in 100 percent of the systems uh, that it needs to be implemented in? Is it still running in those systems? You know, that's that's the key thing that the GRC platforms help CISOs, help organizations manage just all of that work across everything they have in the security domain validate that those things are up and running, you know, and whether it's framework compliance or whether it's regulatory compliance or just addressing the threats that they know are coming at them. That's, that's the key. Excellent. So when you go and you talk with these uh, group of CISOs or when you go in to meet with a prospective customer, what are the, the, the questions that you most often hear? It, again, it, it's it's varied. It depends on maturity. You know how long even that CISO has been in the role. There, it's it's great to see uh, you know a lot of uh, younger folks moving into into the space. Um, we're, I'm also seeing a very big advocate of women in cybersecurity. I, I, my boss uh, at FedEx, uh, she was she was uh, my mentor and leader for for quite some time and learned a ton from her in the space. Uh, she she since retired. So so watching kind of as as some of these folks that were pioneers. Are moving on and, and leaving it uh, to the next generation. So there's a lot of coaching. I think a C, uh, more elder CISOs, I'm doing the air quotes there, uh, are starting to help in the community. And, and it is very open. And, and LinkedIn's been great for uh, when people run into challenges. They they uh, you know will often reach out to their peers in private messaging, and say, Hey, what have you seen around this? So uh, the the questions vary based on maturity and a lot of what. I spend time on is risk quantification. You know, how do I uh, validate uh, the amount of spend I need against uh, a particular risk? I'll, I'll tell one story. I was with a CISO in Singapore uh, several years ago, and and this is actually a, a compliance one, and this is why I bring it up. Uh, so she had her team there. We had their risk register up on the screen, and uh, there was a particular privacy regulation they were starting to, to deal with over there. And she said, Hey, why do I have you know ten or twenty of these risks in my risk register, and and how we how do we need to start working these? And I said, well, one, we need to look at your risk register because you only have one real risk here. And going back to what we said earlier, the risk is the magnitude that regulator shows up with that fine, and what is your security posture, and what's the likelihood of that happening? And so then she very quickly, along with the team, they kind of tilted their heads and they're like, okay, that kind of makes sense. But then as they're looking at their risk register, they're like, what are all these other things? I said, don't don't lose this data, you know, everything you've collected so far around this regulation. But what you have in going through the risk register uh, were certain things that either related to, hey, we've got to fix this. So it was a it was a control deficiency or it may have been an issue. So they had lots of good data that was going to inform uh, the overall decision around how much effort they wanted to put around this. But it, it was tied to that risk, but it wasn't the actual risk itself. So that's that's the other big, big thing. I spent a lot of time uh, working with CISOs. Uh, be sure you understand the definition of risk. Be sure you know, challenge your teams uh, on what they put in the risk register. Is it an actual risk? If your business partners and the people that, that you're working to defend can't assign a dollar value and they can't assign a likelihood of, hey, this is going to happen once a year. It's going to happen once in a decade. This can happen multiple times. They can't start to give you some level of likelihood, then you're probably not looking at a risk. My favorite one is people say, oh, cloud is a risk. Nope, cloud is a platform. What I run in that cloud, how I run it in that cloud, if that if that particular uh, workload or something becomes corrupted or has problems due to a cyber or even operational incident, that's when the risk happens because maybe my 
you know, sortation systems down or my plant can't operate or I can't process transactions, that's where the real risk comes in. Cloud is just the platform it's running on and what you have to secure. Uh, but going to that next level, asking those tough questions, uh, that's really where the, the most mature players and a lot of our customers are focusing uh, with Risk Cloud Quantify is, is let's get numbers wrapped around this. Let's make sure we understand the problem in dollars and cents and and not red, yellow, green. You can't you can't add, you know, four greens, two two yellows, and three reds, and, and come up with a dollar value. But you can, uh, if you do the proper uh, evaluation of the risk, you can get dollar value and loss exceedance curves using you know some of the capabilities that are out there with sim Monte Carlo simulations now. So when you initially engage with a prospective customer, let's just say it's a maybe a competitive scenario. They're looking at a couple different platforms. Okay. Uh, but you have the initial call or meeting with them, uh, you know, and you try to get an understanding of of what their challenges are, what they what they need to do, and you know, you 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 get through that that initial discussion. What is the next step then? Um, is it some type of trial, or do you do you pull some numbers and show them, hey, you know what, we we've spotted these issues or potential issues here? Uh, maybe walk me through that. Yeah, so, it, and again, it depends. So the interesting thing about the GRC space, and I say this a lot, is, you know, even even when I brought purchase these systems in the past or when I look at my peers or individuals in the industry that, that purchase these systems, it's not one of those things like you wake up in the morning and say, wow, I really need a cool, fancy GRC system. Uh, you wish you know, it was, but. Yeah, no, no it's like, I can, you know, I can see marketing. I used to work in marketing too, right? Hey, there's a really cool AI plugin we can do to, to you know, support our customer service. This would be great new technology or voice printing or something, right? So there, there are these cool things to, to wake up in the morning and go by, even the security space, you know, they're, they're. Uh, a lot of people say that the, the blinking lights are, they're, they're things, oh, wow, that's an interesting technology. I wonder if that'll work. Um, but GRC, it's, it's not typically that way. What I see more than, than the, in most cases is somebody's had uh, a material finding in an audit. Uh, the external third-party audit has come in and said, you guys are in such a mess. Uh, you need something better than spreadsheets and SharePoint to manage this. You need a mature platform uh, to deal with this. You've gotten to that size. Like a lot of people can get by, but, but at some point you, you flip over and maybe your external audit tells you. There's a breach or something. There's a regulatory, you know, you get hammered by a finding. So typically there's a compelling event in rare cases, you know, maybe if there's a CRO or, you know, a forward looking leader in the risk space, uh, they may say, hey, if we pull all this together, we can save money, improve operations, improve our risk posture. But, you know, I'd say that's like five to 10% of the market. So typically engaging customers is what is, what what's happened? What's your compelling event? Let's get you started. So Maybe it is third-party risk because they they had a problem with a, a third-party vendor. Uh, maybe it is uh, they did have a breach and they had trouble coming up with uh, you know their business continuity plans. They weren't well managed. So the holistic GRC platforms like Logigate, they will we meet customers where they're at based on kind of what that threat or that risk is. And, and what I often tell people is your GRC program and running it is. is actually a risk exercise in, in, in itself, right? As I'm looking at everything I'm dealing with from a risk perspective, uh, where do I where do I need to go first? What do I need to work on? How do I prioritize it? Guess what? That's your risk register, how you get the planning. So in a lot of cases, my first question, if, I, if I'm dealing with leaderships and or, leadership and organizations is, what risk management framework are you using? Are you using NIST or using ISO? 
Uh, how do you evaluate these risks? What are the biggest risks? So, so even getting that risk register stood up, starting to go through that process of, you know, and, and all of these risk management frameworks have the same kind of flow, right? Identifying the risk, prioritizing, doing the analysis for treatment, making sure those controls get installed or managed, and then the evaluation, you know, as you go through it, did we do the right thing? Do we need to do more? That's that continuous annual cycle that runs. And if you don't have that hammered down uh, back to the whole, uh, you know, what's more important you know, from a, a compliance versus security, getting a good risk register set up, working through that with a good risk management framework, uh, complying with that risk management framework, making sure your teams are following those processes, that's generally the best place to start because now you've made the shift from just running and gunning to we're being very deliberate about it, we're doing costing, we're doing planning, we're using risk quantification to get to true dollar value, doing it all on one platform, uh, if possible, is always the best thing because then all those assumptions in your model can be tied together. You're not bouncing. A lot of these platforms, you'll have to export the data out to some tool, do the analysis and pull it back in. You know, our view of trying to do this holistically is, is it all needs to be kind of under one roof. Uh, and, and that's really where we think that the benefit is for organizations uh, as they move forward. And, th and then it's the data at scale problem too. You know, most of these platforms are still built on relational databases where when you look at risk and the number of connections and degrees of separation of, I'm looking at a regulation tied to these controls I have in place and the exceptions, you know, you're at a very highly networked problem, which is better solved through uh, graph database technology. So I've, I've been impressed uh, even moving over to this organization and there are a few others that are out there doing it, but they've realized that that risk management really is a highly networked problem and there's a better architecture attack it. So I've seen a lot of people put a lot of data in these systems and then when they have to ask the tough questions, maybe after a breach or when a regulator shows up, sometimes it's it's very difficult to get the data out because it's built on a relational platform versus uh, a graph database. So so that's technology-wise, that's also where some of the world is headed as, as these things scale and, and we start to deal with bigger problems. Cool. So um, back to the selection process, though, like, again, so, you know, I'm a, I'm a CISO and I say, yeah, you know what, this looks interesting can we take it for a test drive or is it, you know, yeah. Just, yeah. It's, so how does that, how does the test drive work? What what do you need to connect to or how do you, you know, how does that so run? That's, that's a big differentiator in the platforms too. There, you know, ours, especially along with a couple others, it, your teams can configure it. We can very quickly configure to your business processes, your workflows, uh, having a workflow centric tool that will follow your processes or, or tie into your risk management frameworks is critical. So it would be to let's let's look at getting your risk register stood up. Let's start working through that. And in fact, we're working on some workshops right now, you know, help help teams get that populated and kicked off. Uh, you know, call it the, the risk, uh, sorry, risk register makeover. Um, but yeah, setting it up, uh, the, the price point is is typically low enough to get you started in one of those modules, get your arms around the problem, you know, really start to manage security versus letting, you know, security kind of manage you from, hey, I've got to go hit this new regulation or that regulation. What, is, what does it look like? Where's my real risk? How do I do the prioritization? Uh, so we do, we stand up smaller, uh, often POCs with customers. And then once they're, hey, this will meet, meet our needs. And it's, it's very easy being, again, you know, uh, cloud-based and risk cloud, it's, it's very easy to stand this up. You're not having to stand up hardware. Uh, if you have team members that are good in tools like the people that are doing this in Excel or SharePoint or whatever now, 
very easily can be trained on these these no code low code platforms like Logic Eight, and they can start to administer it themselves. And it's it's critical too. I've seen some organizations will try to tie this work into some other existing ERP system, and I've experienced that too. Well, guess what? As a security person, if you're trying to do something on a large operational platform that may be supporting uh, maybe your your IT operations guess where you get prioritized, typically at the bottom of the list. And I just talked with a customer the other day that they're, they're applying for an exception because somebody said, well, you need to use the ERP system, you know, the big platform we bought to do this. But every time the security officer went to get their work prioritized, guess what? They were on the four-year waiting list, you know, hmm. right behind these four other giant IT projects. And they're like, that's unacceptable. I've got regulations that are changing every day. I can't be last on the list. So you'll see that as a reason to have an independent system uh, a lot of auditors that uh, if your your company is very audit savvy, they understand to have that platform independence for a risk platform is very important because guess what? Sometimes you're investigating some of the same people that are running these platforms and, you know, God forbid they get access to maybe an investigation or some of the findings that are out there, uh, you know, that, that can create issues as well. So a lot of audit organizations will demand uh, that these risk platforms be separate from core IT platforms, run on their their own uh, separate instance, uh, just to protect it from you know uh, an integrity standpoint uh, for investigations and, and corporate corporate liability and things along that line. So so that's that's another big big thing. And and being in SaaS, it's just easier to stand up and get people running and, and getting them started. And, and we're we're focusing on that now with. Uh, some of our landing zone products, we're trying to say, hey, what are those very specific things you need to fix within your organization? Let's get stood up. Let's get you get you some help. And then, you know, we can we can grow the program over time, but let's go attack your biggest risk first. OK, uh, totally makes a lot of sense in regards to like hybrid environments or on prem. Are you able to work work? Through that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have we have rest APIs to deal with that, and that's. That's the I, I typically when when people say, well, how do you explain, you know, what you do to to your uh, senior in college or, or your friends? And I tell them, I'm like, what what Logigate is, it's really a control tower for risk. We take telemetry and input, uh, you know, from the front line. So just like, you know, airplanes up in the air, they send certain bits of information to the control tower. The people in the control tower look at that information, they make decisions and they send remediation back out. Uh, you know, in, in the airline case, back out to the airplane. In the business case, it's back out to that business unit. Hey, you need an exception here, or we need to uh, improve your compliance, or you're sending those directions out. So when you look at integrated risk management platforms or GRC platforms uh, like Logic 8, that's, that's our goal, and that's why it's important to have those integrations to be able to take that telemetry in from those different platforms, uh, help with the decision-making, and then push it back out. So uh, and that gets back to the automation. A lot of these platforms where if they're just doing that data collection on forms, that's a heavy impact to your first line of defense people, right? They have to operate those systems. They they have operational uh, obligations. They don't have time to sit down and fill out 20 different compliance forms manually. The more that can be automated, the more telemetry that can be collected uh, through integrations to, to either on-prem or other cloud systems uh, accelerates that. And that, that again, is... Uh, kind of where things have been moving over the past few years is, is how do we continue to automate this, make it easier on that first line of defense and, and let the operators operate, you know, as, as much as they can. So they're going to have to answer some questionnaires, but let's keep them focused on their day jobs and, and keep the, the revenue flowing. And that's that's a great 
you know, way to bring this. If you're looking for one of these platforms to bring this in front of executive management, it's like, hey, we have to do this from a compliance perspective, you know, to not get fined. But this manual process we're doing is taking so much time. Our operators are not operating. Uh, let's let's get this automated. Let's make this easier on that first line. Let's do, do the best we can through integrations and, and risk telemetry collection. Do you, have you done any kind of uh, cost benefit analysis or you know ROI based you know your time savings or your your hours saved versus the cost of the tool the platform? Yeah, that's typically if if you go into an organization you can you can do that even back of the envelope like how many people are running this how many questionnaires does it take to get this done if you're doing it manually the data collection the reporting uh, so that's one way to do the justification but but then again the power of moving past just red, yellows, and greens uh, into Monte Carlo simulations, doing loss exceedance curves. Now you can actually start to calculate return on countermeasures and controls. A uh, lot of leadership in, in the space, you know, from from Doug Hubbard and Richard Searson uh, around this. So, so that is, uh, somebody said 2023 is going to be the, finally the year of risk quantification, um, but it's it's definitely picked up. I remember going to initial fair institute meetings uh with jack jones and, and that group and i think the first one there was a, a small room with maybe there might have been 150 people in there and then the last time i went right before covid uh it was a, a massive room there were probably four or five hundred six hundred people in there so uh and i, and I think fair institute's even up to some ten thousand members now so there's growing interest in understanding that uh using just color-coded uh, heat maps, while it's good maybe for doing your initial triage, that when you're getting into the company actually having to make investments, actually having to make business decisions, you have to move up a risk continuum and be able to do quantification uh, because you don't want to be making decisions just on a color on a chart. You need to understand the impact and the analysis uh, behind that from a dollar value. So so all of those capabilities are there. All of those things are maturing. Um and it's, well, when it's, you, it's an exciting time to be in the industry, actually. Yeah, when you talk about risk quantification, one of the things that comes to my mind is insurance. And I'm wondering, are, have you seen any insurance companies, providers offer discounted or premium rates, premium premiums? Uh, yeah, lower rates, <laughs> premiums for companies who have achieved, uh, you know, certain levels of risk mitigation. Yeah, so it's it's funny. I've looked at. I just started looking at some insurance for one of the entities I was working with, and the questionnaires that they have uh, for calculating your premium have changed significantly just even in the past 24 months. I'd say so. When it used to be kind of a one pager, you know, do you have MFA? Do you have a security awareness program? Uh, they now have kind of almost a three-tiered thing. It's like, do you have those basics? But then do you also have a SOC? And so the insurance companies are getting smart about this by all means. And, and this is, uh, if you haven't looked at it, uh, Doug Hubbard does a good uh, discussion around the four horsemen of uh, risk management or risk quantification. And one is the actuaries, which the insurance companies have lots of, and, and they're very good at that type of math. Uh, the other one are the war quants, which which I consider myself one kind of we grew up out of manufacturing and doing manufacturing uh, type risk. There's the economists that are looking at it from a macro scale. We typically don't run into those folks uh, as much in, a, in our space in cybersecurity. And then there's some management consultants. Right. So so your big consulting groups. That's where the red, yellow, green came from is it was easy and boards of directors could understand it. But the math behind it is is you know kind of not all there. Again, great way to triage, great way to communicate information, 
but you really have to get into that actuarial or kind of the war quant people that are that are doing simulations. They're actually tying it to dollar values, the the, the traditional actuarial activity. So I do think we're going to see the insurance companies uh, getting wiser. And where you know, if you think about car insurance or something like that, the amount of data they have and the ability for them to to forecast and adjust premiums. I think over time, they are also going to get into that space and, and we'll see it. There have been instances I know where organizations have pushed back on premiums and based on information in you know, their GRC platform or other information they have, they're able to say, hey, here's everything we're doing. We, we think we should have uh, you know, a lower premium based on the questionnaire you submitted. And, and in some cases, they're able to negotiate it down. But it's, I think the insurance companies are definitely getting wise. Uh, and I think they've taken a hit on you know, a lot of these cyber breaches and uh, interesting discussion at RSA this past year around uh, the whole business email compromise thing, right? The, the insurance companies are shelling out a fair amount of money for that right now where, uh, you know, the CEO accidentally, uh, you know, ships a bunch of money over to some adversary uh, just from a well-crafted email with some bank account numbers on it. And, and uh, I think the insurance companies are, are taking a hit there. So they've adjusted some things around multi-factor and, and doing their investigation more. So, I think it's going to be much like uh, over time, it'll be like your your driver's insurance. They're going to have enough information on your your company's posture and, and how you're going to prove it. And that that will, in fact, you know, just like your auto insurance is going to change your premiums. You know, I haven't had two wrecks, so it's lower. You know, there's history there. there. There are things they can use to calculate. And then think about it, right? So you look at uh, some of the insurance companies now have the the device you can plug into your, your car computer, and it's actually tracking telemetry, you know, longer term. Uh, as this continues to evolve, I think that's where we're headed. Yeah, and I'm also thinking from the other side that you know, if I'm a CISO I'm, and I and I want to you know uh, rationalize the purchase of one of these risk management platforms, I mean, obviously we do, we already talked about you know the, the the savings that come from automation, but if you can walk into the CF the the CFO's office and say, oh well, in addition to the the savings in terms of you know the um, the, the um, hours required for these tasks that can be automated, um, we can also reduce our insurance premiums by 10, 15% for, for exactly. cyber, and cyber. And, and that totally rationalize it. And then your CFO is like, oh, yeah, okay, you, you had me at automation, but now you've dealt, you got me with, uh, you know, reduced premiums. So definitely let's, uh, let's look at this. And so um, what have you, and so what have you done there, right? You talk the language of the CFO. This is why risk quantification dollars. One of the the easiest conversations I had in InfoSec is we did, it was kind of my first foray into doing uh, fair quantification. And I walked in with a business case. I had dollars tied around, hey, I need X number of dollars to bring in this tool. The risk level is is this. And it was the shortest InfoSec conversation I ever had because they said, why are we even having this conversation? You know, this is a, uh, a fraction of investment to to improve our overall security posture. I was in and out of the meeting in five minutes because they were like, why are we even talking about this? This is, you know, a nit on the balance sheet. You know, that's going to save us a ton, of, you know, Im improve our risk posture. And this in particular was a, a fraud issue I was working. Uh, but I'm talking dollars and cents, not red, yellows and greens and things they can wrap their arms around. Uh, it's much easier conversation to to have versus uh, kind of the security dance a lot of folks have to do around their their color-coded charts. Absolutely. Hey, um, let me ask you this. When you, when it comes to, you know, uh, vendors, how do you gather enough telemetry to say, hey, this is a concern or, hey, this is a to to use the, the you know, the term that you don't like to use a, a green versus a red? So same thing. You can you can start to model um, some of that 
from the perspective of what business processes. So again, this is the key to having holistic platforms that any business process is typically a mix of many things, right? There are internal things I'm doing that I need to manage from a security and risk perspective. There are very often and more and more so in the modern environment with you know cloud apps and all that, there's very often third parties that are tied to making that business process run effectively. So understanding that process, if it fails, what do we lose, who's involved, that starts to get you into you know what part of this process is supported by that third party. Do we have a backup you know contingency plan again from a risk planning perspective? That you're asking a question that really ties this together and why all of these things are important uh, in terms of of a risk and and even a, a cybersecurity program. Uh, so so that can be taken into effect. Typically, third party, you're seeing they're they're still doing a lot of it ver by, by questionnaires. Uh, a lot of uh, you know we partner up with uh, companies, especially like Black Kite, that do. Um, the third-party analysis from the outside, and the, the analogy somebody—I I forget one of the one of the vendors out there said this years ago—is like, we can go look at the outside of somebody's house and and kind of even peek in through some of the windows. We, we can't we can't tell exactly what's going on, on the inside, but the assumption can be you can somewhat draw the assumption that if they're not taking care of the outside of their house, the paint's peeling, the windows are cracked, then the inside's probably not in much better shape either. Uh, so you know, these these external kind of review tools for third-party risk, sometimes get a bad rap because they'll say, well, that's not my actual posture, but it'll show you, you know, like, are they not patching, uh, kind of staying patched up on their on their different external assets that can be viewed, you know, how is their API security? Uh, it, it gives you a concept of, uh, hey, should we even be doing business with these guys? Are they lying on their questionnaires potentially? Uh, or well, I mean, you know, like one of the biggest intel. kind of flags that I see is, I mean, and you still see it is you'll you'll uh, get approached by a company, you go to their website and they don't have the HTTPS on. And yeah. I'm just like right away, I'm like, OK, so it's uh, it's amateur time over here, man. You know, <laughs> yeah. well, and so that's that's like the outside. That's the first thing in the outside of the house. You walked up and, you know, there's three cracked windows and, you know, the doors unlocked. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to work with these guys. So exactly. and 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 I've seen there are CISOs that have put the hammer down. So we are not doing business with with uh, customer X. But again, you're you're in at that point. It's a it's a a risk discussion with the business. They, if they if they're going to force it, that's fine. You're going to sign exception. I'm going to record that in the GRC platform because if if something goes wrong, it's you've accepted the risk. You know, Mr. or Mrs. Business owner. Um, but there have been cases, and, and the best ally, for, I'll tell if the CISOs don't know it right now, the best ally to go fight some of those battles is call your GC, call your legal team, help them understand what the risk is, and sometimes they can go uh, fight that battle with you if you're going to actually put your your you know foot down and say, hey, we are not going to work with this business, and here's why. Having that telemetry, even if it is from kind of some of those third-party purveyors like Black Kite uh, that we work with, all of that is that, again, assumptions and data, risk telemetry, that help inform the business decisions and and tying all that together in a holistic view uh, just improves your overall ability to manage these things. Well, hey, Chris, you've shared a, a lot of really informative information, valuable information. And I, I'm curious, like, you know, in your job, you have to kind of take a look at the compliance and regulatory landscape. Uh, you look at the threat landscape, and then you also probably look at different, you know, security, to, uh, related technologies and different solutions. How do you, where do you focus and how do you keep abreast of all these things? 
same con and we're, we're kind of looping back on the same concept you've you've got to start with the risk right and and when you're looking at te- all these technologies and you know a lot of my friends in the industry the the blinking lights that they're selling you you know on the floor at black hat and rsa you know which of those are actually effective at mitigating that risk what does that mix look like uh you know i've seen organizations uh very savvy ones use their grc programs also to uh, reduce costs, right? I have overlapping controls. I've bought three different platforms over the years, uh, and based on this particular uh, threat vector or this particular uh, threat actor, uh, there's overlap there. Maybe I only need two of the three. Defense in depth is one thing, but you know, three, four, five. There may be too many. Can I reduce some licensing somewhere uh, because you know maybe a tool has gotten better in a certain space, or I can take one tool and replace it with two tools. So it's it's always still a cost benefit analysis that you've got to go through. The technologies obviously change. You know, I, I often tell customers when they set up their uh, GRC programs and they're putting in their controls, uh, one of the fields I like to make sure that they configure is when does the contract expire minus six months? Because then the security team, the operations teams can go in and look and say, hey, we've been working with vendor X for two or three years now. Are these controls in place? Are they running? Are they effective? Did we stop anything? Hey, you know what? There are two new te- there's a new technology that can replace three of these, and all these contracts are coming up at the same time. So it really is that operational management of your uh, IT security posture that, that it's all tied together. It ties back to what are the priorities for this year? What am I going to get budget for? What are the highest risks and highest threats? Maybe one of them is a compliance risk. We got to go after that. But, you know, more likelihood it could be business email compromise these days or, you know, ransomware. You know, ransomware 20 years ago wouldn't have been a big risk on my risk register, right? It was, oh, it infected two or three laptops and I have to go re-image a laptop. It's a pain, you know, that most of the times our uh, endpoint protections are covering us. But, you know, not patching WannaCry changed that forever, right? Now it's like I can lose a whole business. So that risk and the dollar impact and the magnitude, you know, if you go back to, to 2010, Probably not a big deal, not a lot of magnitude. You look at 2022, and, and it's a completely uh, different story. So it's it's a continuous process. It's why you have these risk management frameworks that run in a continuous flow. Uh, the more we can bring in, uh, you know, automated telemetry and automated management over the over this uh, with with integrations is is just going to increase the the capabilities and ability to respond to the risks. You know, it's funny when you talk about the 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 trends in the threat landscape and you're talking about ransomware and et cetera, business email compromise. It makes me think that, I mean, who would want to be a CISO? (laughs) Now I know there's a lot of great, go ahead. (laughs) It's getting harder. I actually, so we did some training, we're doing some retraining for our sales team because they were like, we we want to understand kind of what these roles are. And I have, uh, I built one years ago and there are a couple of these out there, but if you do like uh, Office of the CISO mind map. There are a couple of them out there. If you really look at the responsibilities, and this is this is something uh, Denise Wood had us do at FedEx at one point. She's like, can you get a map, and, you know, map out everything we're dealing with? Because finance was asking us a lot of questions about what are we investing in? So we built one of these mind maps uh, to show all of the things the CISO is responsible for. And it's it's significant, right? One day you're you're hanging out with the lawyers. The next day you're hanging out with your technicians. Uh, it requires somebody that uh, has the ability to pick good leaders to put underneath them and manage them appropriately uh, to to actually 
put the right management systems in place that they have their dashboards and ability to understand uh, what their security posture is. But it, it is a very difficult job. It's why it's, I think, demanding, you know, some higher salaries. It's I, I, I go as far to say it's it's as complex in, in some cases as CEO's job to same way CEO has to look at all the business units and deal with the operational aspects and the financial aspects. You know, many times the CISO is doing the same thing, just more from the risk perspective uh, on the on the cyber side and, and more increasingly even in some of the things that that uh, deal with litigation and, and working with the attorneys. And again, while I was I was always very close and remain very close to the legal teams that I work with because they, they can provide great insights and also be your best ally if you're if you're going up against a business unit or in some cases even. You know, even the CEO, if the CEO doesn't believe there needs to be investment, sometimes legal can be your best partner and help them make that case. Yeah. And then there's the whole thing that, you know, you, you definitely also want to be supportive of the business's requirements, right? I mean, there, there'll be certain productivity yeah. or, uh, you know, other related requirements and you don't want to just be a blocker. Uh, you want to figure out, okay, what's the, you know, acceptable level of risk here? And let's have a conversation about that. And I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's a it's a very important and I'm um, you know demanding job. So hats yeah, off Al, to Al, all the CISOs Al, out there. Yeah, <laughs> Alan Alfred, Alan Alfred, and I talk about that quite a bit. It's like we do not want to be the department of no. Right. And that's the that's the the best place for a CISO to be, is to be in that role where you're an advisor and a consultant to the business. Make sure they understand the risk. But if they want to make that decision, just make sure you have. You know, the right accountability, that there's the right sign offs, that your team has done the right due diligence. You know, here's what we've done to mitigate this up to this point. But you are still assuming X risk, especially if it, if it's something going back to that business process analysis analysis. If it's key to the organization and an operator or somebody in the business is pushing, hey, we're going to do this like that's fine. Let's document this and, and let's track it. And I can't tell you the number of times that that saved us. Uh, some heartache uh, in, in my previous organizations that we actually had it documented. We knew here were the assumptions. Here's where we made mistakes as a business, but tracking and understanding that being the enabler, Hey, we'll let you guys do that, but do this with your eyes wide open. Uh, there, there was an example where uh, I was working on, a, again, one of the fraud programs and one of the business units wanted an exception. I said, that's fine. But if, if this fails, if what you're doing fails, all this, uh, the lost revenue is now going to be billed directly back to your apartment. Guess what? They ended up they ended up putting a control in the control they were trying to avoid. They end up putting in because they realized, oh wait, we're, th this risk is going to the the magnitude of the risk is actually going to fall on us. So the more and again, if you can get to a dollar calculation, makes your job as a CISO making those cases much easier. You're speaking their language. That's some, you know, some, if, you, if you go if you go back to the business unit, it's like this is going to cost you four yellows. They're going to look at you like, okay, whatever, I'll sign that. <laughs> if you go back to the business unit, this is going to cost you two potentially. There's an eighty percent chance over the next two years, this is going to cost you two million dollars. You sure you want to still sign that exception? Eh, let me go think about it until let's talk to the team or, or tell me more about what I can do to deal with that. Right? You're changing yeah. the conversation, uh, and that's we have to as security leaders and risk leaders in the organization, we have to change that conversation to to make this. Uh, make these points and make it a dollars and cents conversation. Awesome. Well, hey, Chris, that, that's some some great advice. And uh, I've, I really enjoyed this conversation, learned a lot. Would like to wish you and the rest of the Logic Gate team a very great end to the 2022. Yeah, and we're into 2023. Who knew? It's crazy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mark. I really appreciate it. Thanks for everybody listening. 
Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. 